going to be in the book of Ruth, and I'm not going to read a ton from it. It's just a four-chapter book, so I encourage you to actually take a look into it over the next week, two weeks. I, I felt like the Holy Spirit had told me to be in the book of Ruth, and I did not know why, and I read it a bunch of times, <laughs> saying, "Why? what am I, like, what's, what do you want from this? Because there's a lot to to gain anytime we read scripture, right? There's a lot that can be pulled out, but I wasn't interested in just pulling out things that were cool about the book of Ruth. There was a now word, and I believe that the Holy Spirit showed that to me the other day. And if I would, I don't usually title messages, but if I were to title this message, it was when the promised land look, looks bleak. <laughs> when the promised land looks bleak. Bleak meaning like gray and kind of like what's going on here. Um, so let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you so much for what you're doing, what you're doing in this community, <laughs> what you're doing in the region, what you're doing in our hearts individually, in our families and corporately. We're so thankful you are a good and present God and so involved in our process. And we are so thankful for that. We rely on you. We trust in you. We give our yes to you, we cling to you, we lean into you in this season. I just pray that your words would come from my mouth this morning and that it would strike our hearts, my heart included, that something would sink deep, something would break over us, something would break over our minds, our hearts, and a spirit of revelation would be in the room to bring light and, and, and joy and freedom God, we, we know that your word does it, and we delight in it. We delight in your word. We delight in truth, and we welcome it, the spirit of truth. And Ray in the room, come, spirit of truth, right now, come over us. Enlighten us. Enlighten us with your word. We love you in Jesus' name. So instead of going into all the details, I'm going to kind of just give like a stepped back, step back view. I don't know how to say that. Step back view of the book of Ruth and what that's about, huh? An aerial view. See the thesaurus in the room. <laughs> An aerial view of the book of Ruth um, and kind of the just some general themes that I felt like the, the Holy Spirit was highlighting. Many of us have read this book. We know that it starts with Naomi. I'm going to read in Ruth chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to just read the first, I believe, seven verses I wanted to read. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem of Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he, his wife, and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And his two sons were named Malon and Chilion. And they were Ephrathites <laughs> from Bethlehem of Judah. So basically, people from Bethlehem back then were called Ephrathites, or however you pronounce that, Bethlehemite. I'm going to say Bethlehemite because it's the same thing. They lived in Bethlehem. They went to the country of Moab and continued there. But Elimelech, who, who Na uh, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They dwelt there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. So the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. 
So she left the place where she was, her two daughters-in-law with her, and they started on their way back to Judah. So this is an incredible picture of things that are happening. In seven verses, we hear 10 years of basic history <laughs> of what happened. You know, these are the details that we needed to know. So we have this family coming out of Bethlehem. We have Elimelech, who's the husband, Naomi, who's the wife, and their two sons. And there's a famine in the land, so much so that they're going to leave Bethlehem and, and the promised land. That was where the promised land was. That was the people of Israel. That's where God was dwelling with his people. And they decided to leave Bethlehem to go look for food, right? Their natural circumstance was that intense. That was not, uh, that was not an uncommon thing to happen in Bible times, right? The famine happens, let's go find food, right? I, if we were hungry, starving, well, let's go find food, right? Makes sense? So he takes his family, his wife and two sons, and they go to Moab. What we know of Moab is God said, don't go to Moab, <laughs> Don't intermarry with them. Don't be connected with them because they were a, a nation of people that were idolatrous and they did all sorts of horrible things. And God had told them not to mix with them because if they did, they might start taking on some of the attributes and things that the people of Moab did. Makes sense, right? But they go to Moab because they think they're going to find food there. The husband dies. That's a big thing. In Bible times, in Israel, in this time period, when the husband provider died, that was horrendous. Thankfully, she had two sons, so she was still kind of stable, right? Her sons take two wives for Moab. Not supposed to do that. Yeah, they, they weren't supposed to be doing that. They take two wives. Well, we have Orpah, interesting name, <laughs> and Ruth. Yeah, not Oprah, <laughs> Orpah. Did I say Oprah? <laughs> oh, I was like, <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> Orpah and Ruth, and we know Ruth becomes this mighty heroine of the story. But so they take these two wives, and over a 10-year period, both her sons die in Moab. So this woman has gone through the death of her husband and the death of her two sons in 10 years. And she's left her and her two daughters, which is destitute. I mean, in that time period in Israel, if you didn't have a husband providing for you, if you didn't have men in the family, you were subject and open to a lot of dangers, a lot of, a lot of things, poverty, uh, lack of food, lack of provision. So her situation is dire, right? She, she's not, this, she's been through a hard time. This is not something like, they explain it so quickly, but you think about that. I mean, I think about it. I step back and think, I lost two people in a year and a half, and that was horrible, horrible. And she lost her husband and her two children, her whole family. That's crazy, painful, painful situation. So she makes a decision because she hears, back in Bethlehem, the Lord has provided for his people. Okay, this is good news. And, and I wonder how that felt for her. I'm thinking through this like, man, if I was a, an Israelite and I had left to go find food and then I hear that God provided, it would have been like, shucks. <laughs> you know, like, okay, well, here we go back. But she's, she's returning because she has a heart to be with her people. She still believes in God. And her two daughter-in-laws are coming back with her. 
And she decides on the way to tell them, girls, don't stay with me. Don't stay with me. Go back to Moab. Find husbands. You're still young. You know, there's still hope for you, basically. She says in verse, uh, let's see here. Would you there? She's saying, like, uh, am I going to bear you children in my old, old age? And then if I do bear a son, what are you going to wait 18 years till he's grown? And then they're 50 years old and marrying her 18 year old son. She's saying, I can't do anything for you. Go back, find some husbands. And she says in verse 13, Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It is far more bitter for me than for you that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. So Naomi's perspective in this whole situation is that the Lord is against her. We're going to see that that's not the case. But oftentimes in our situation, it seems like the Lord is against us. How are all these terrible things happening? I made some bad decisions, and now these terrible, in Naomi's situation, I don't know if they thought that was a bad decision or not. It doesn't say. I, I wonder because they knew they weren't supposed to go to Moab. But I could imagine her saying, I made some bad decisions. The Lord's hand has come against me. He's taken my husband and my two sons. What am I to do? Well, Orpah decides to go back to Moab and, and says, okay, thank you. Like they weep bitterly. And Ruth, as we know, clings to Naomi. And says, I will not, I cannot, do not make me go back. And she says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. So she has a disciple attached to her. And this, to me, stood out to Naomi in the midst of all this trial, famine in the land, real famine, her husband and both sons passing away. She still demonstrated something in her walk with God in her relationship with God, in her belief that one of her daughter-in-laws is clinging to her, saying, your God is going to be my God. Your God is going to be my God. So, so clearly Naomi is dis demonstrating this relationship with God, that she believes in God, that she walks with God, she's of the people of God, because one of her daughter-in-laws noticed it so much that she's saying, I don't, I don't want to go back to the gods of Moab and to all that idolatry and all that mess. Please take me with you. So Naomi, seeing that Ruth wouldn't be left behind, they go together. And the story continues on. So I talked about the first part. Our, our external circumstances can look really bleak. She was in the promised land, and famine came. You can be in the promised land and a famine comes. Does that mean God's not going to provide? No, we find out he did provide. He ends up showing up. It was just a little down the road. She was in the promised land. Your external circumstances can look bleak. And that bleak outlook that, that seemed led them in desperation, in reality, to find food. And we can all understand that and say, that might be me in that situation, right? Like, I might be that desperate to run and find food, too. But that this is what the word was about even now. When your situation looks bleak, when, when the enemy is coming in like a flood against you, stand. Stand. God is going to come through. And, and the promised land sometimes can look bleak in moments. 
what's going on? Why is this happening? We believe we're in a, in a time of promise, even in our community. But Naomi, after all this happened, she turns back to return. She hears the Lord is provided. Ruth won't leave her. And, her, and, and then it goes on. So Naomi returns back. Ruth is with her. And then we hear about Boaz, right? He's, he's the next of kin or second next of kin. And this story gets richer and richer as it goes. So Boaz is related to Elimelech, the husband. And what would happen back then is that the next of kin, the next family line member, would purchase the wife and all the property and all the family to then take care of them. And it would be to, to fulfill and bring an inheritance to the, to the person who passed away, Elimelech, to the husband. So Boaz is there, and Ruth goes out, and she starts going into the harvest field. She needs to get money. She's a hardworking girl. She's going to provide for her mother-in-law. So she se gets sent out. She ends up in Boaz's field. And a little love relationship starts to happen between Boaz and Ruth. And he sees her, and he approaches her, and, and then he tells all his workers, leave grain, let her collect. Don't, don't mock her, protect her while she's here. It was a dangerous thing she was doing. They could be attacked by other men. It, women did not have a ton of value in that time. So her being out in the, men with the, field, in the fields with the men was not a safe place, but she went out there to provide for her mother-in-law. As she's out there, Boaz approaches her, guess their ages. I looked it up. I, you know, I always, Tom and I were talking about this. We always think of them as like, yeah, 16 and 25. Yeah, like Boaz is a strong man and Ruth is a beautiful woman and this love story. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyone have a guess of how old Boaz was? 80. Uh, Boaz is 80 years old. Guess how old uh, Ruth is? 40. <laughs> okay. So we have this 80-year-old love story blooming between this 80-year-old and 40-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> he was had to have been anointed. <laughs> yeah. That was just an interesting fact. Like, whoa, okay. <laughs> so <she laughs> he was in this resurrection body. Uh, I think they were healthier back then. They looked a little better, probably. <laughs> so she goes out, and he's letting her take all this grain, and this thing happens. She goes home, and she's fed, and she has all this barley to give to her mother-in-law. And Naomi goes, where did you get this? And, she, and Ruth goes, well, I was in this field, and Boaz came, and blah, blah, blah. And Naomi goes, he's next of kin. And listen to what Naomi says in chapter 2. Oh, before I get there, so... You hear her, her first response, Naomi thinks the Lord's against her, right? And then in verse 19, uh, 19 through 21 of chapter 1, this is how Naomi thinks the Lord sees. So they both went until th they came to Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred about them, Naomi and Ruth returning. And she said to them, call me not Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Her whole perspective, you see, is this obviously very heavy. Look at her circumstances. 
They, they ran because of famine. Her husband and her two sons die. She comes back with just one girl attached to her hip with nothing, no way to provide. And her perspective is, God's afflicting me. She has a wrong perspective because that's not what was happening. But it's easy for us to view God through our present circumstances when he's seeing the big picture and he's like, just hold on. Just hold on. Wait till you see what I have planned. But it's hard for us. I mean, it's hard. I, I think of us, just think of your situations naturally that you've been in. If you've lost anyone, that's hard. That's painful. If you're, if you're waiting for God to do something hard, painful, and it can be this, the enemy comes in in those moments and he lies, right? And he says, look, the Lord doesn't like you. Look, he's afflicting you. Look, whatever. And that, so Naomi was kind of just under this cloud of heaviness. And then all this stuff happens where Ruth is with Boaz and now Boaz is providing and there's food coming in. And look how her situation, this, is, this shows me, to me, Naomi's level of faith. In chapter 2, let me see, was it chapter 2? Yeah, chapter 2, verse 20. So she's saying, Ruth, where did you glean today? Where did you get all this stuff? And this is 19. Uh, Blessed be the man who noticed you. So Ruth told her the name of him with whom I worked is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the God, uh, blessed be he of the Lord who has not ceased his kindness to the living and the dead. So all of a sudden, she sees this glimmer of hope, and her faith skyrockets. Blessed be God, who doesn't cease to show kindness to the living and the dead, meaning he's going to get my husband's inheritance back for him even after he died. Naomi was a woman of faith that it only took this tiny little sign for her to say, God is good. His kindness has never ceased. That's a big shift from the Lord is afflicting me. He's bitter against me and he doesn't like me. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. Something shifted in her. Faith stirred up in her because of this glimmer of a promise, glimmer of hope. And then we go on. Naomi goes that whole scandalous scene where she tells Naomi says to Ruth, go, he's out threshing. He's, he's gleaning in the field. Go sleep at his feet tonight. That's scandalous in that time. So she goes out. She listens to her mother-in-law. She sleeps at his feet. They end up, he ends up redeeming her. So I want to just note a couple of things. What we don't see, what we do not see, God is not rebuking Naomi for her perspective. Big one. You don't see God show up and say, you're wrong, I'm kind, I'm good. He understands. He's such a good father. He understands even in the midst of our darkest moments, and, and we do sometimes give in to the, I know I did. I definitely did. When I was not certain I was pregnant, I didn't know I was pregnant. I was still waiting. My brother died shortly after my husband's dad died, both unexpectedly, and I'm like, angry at God. What the heck this is? And I was pregnant at the time. I did not know. He had a promise. He had something bigger going on. Did God rebuke me in that time? No, he didn't. Was he chastening me and saying, oh, 
you just so quickly, blah, blah, blah. No, he encouraged me. He built me up. He kept speaking his kindness toward me. So we don't see God rebuking Naomi for her perspective. He understands. He understands. And we don't see God, God's plan changing because they went to Moab. He said for them not to go to Moab, but it actually was in his plan that they go to Moab. What? Well, does that not blow your mind? It was his command. Do not marry within Moab, with Moabites. They get married. It's in God's plan. <laughs> he, he turns it all around. He turns it all around. He blows our minds sometimes. You know, we're so rigid. And God's structured, but, but sometimes he, his plan is so much bigger than we can even, it does not fit in our lines, right? And so it blows the mind. So his plan wasn't changing. He had a plan, and they were actually in it the whole time. Amazing. What we do see is God changing the entire storyline from death and famine to life and abundance. Ruth comes home with barley, tons of food for her mother-in-law. And this hope of Boaz being the redeemer. That's what they were called back then, the redeemer. He was going to redeem the whole family because he was next in line. So we see, we do see God changing the entire storyline. He's redeeming every part of the story and bringing about a promise that was far greater than what they could ever imagine. That promise actually outweighed the sorrow. That's pretty intense. Pretty incredible because sorrow is a real thing. Grief is a real thing, and it can be very heavy. And to think, even in this story, that God had a promise that was going to outweigh, he actually had to have Naomi's husband and two sons die in order for this to happen. Let that blow your mind for a moment. It was in God's great plan, this plan that was thousands of years wide, that those three men had to die. You're going to see why in just a minute. They had to die. Now, for Naomi, in that circumstance with her little point of view, that didn't look great to her. God is against me. It was all personal, right? Because I don't understand, God's against me, doesn't like me, he's afflicting me. But God doesn't see the way we see. He's seeing in this massive plan that he has, and it's good, and he's kind in it. And that's why we can't get so laser-focused in the small details of our individual life and say, oh, God, it hates me, <laughs> you know, or he's against me. Because he might have something much bigger going on that we're not seeing quite yet. His plan is so much more intricate. So he was bringing about a promise that would be far greater than what he could ever imagine. It outweighed the sorrow. And, and going to the end of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, I'm going to read through nine, 9 through 12. So Boaz becomes the redeemer. I want you to read the book because it's only four chapters, not long. So you get all the details that I'm, miss, I'm skipping for time today. But in, in chapter 4, 
Boaz is out in the city gates, and he's, he's doing what he needs to do to redeem the family. So he's out with the elders and all of them. And in verse 9, it says, And Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, and that was Chilion's and Malon's, so her husband and two sons, from the hand of Naomi. Also Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to restore the name of the dead to his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his birthplace, you are witnesses this day. And all the people at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. That's a pretty big blessing. May you do worthily and get wealth, power, and be famous in Bethlehem. If you only know what's coming at the end of this chapter, I'm getting chills reading this. And let your house be like the house of Perez, who whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you through this woman. Do you know what offspring came through this woman? <laughs> David did come through her, her line. That wasn't her direct son. So Boaz took Ruth, became his wife, and they went in, and the Lord caused her to conceive an 80-year-old, 40-year-old, or 82, 42, however long that process was, she gets pregnant, and the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close kinsman. May his name be famous in Israel, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher and a supporter. And they called his name Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of King David, the ancestor of Jesus. Who? So, God's great plan. Naomi, you don't, I know you're in sorrow and grief right now. And I, your husband and your sons had to die. They had to die because Boaz needed to marry Ruth. Then they were going to have Obed. And my son, King Jesus, is coming through the family, of, family line. King David unto King Jesus is coming. That's, that's the promise. The promise of God far outweighs the sorrow 100% of the time. Always, 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 always. God is a redeeming God, and he's going to redeem our situations and turn it around for his glory and that his promise would be fulfilled in abundance in our lives and it would be like a testimony to the ages of the greatness of our God. I mean, this is a testimony for the ages, for all of eternity of the greatness of our God to turn around sorrow and pain and produce promise. He takes sorrow and pain, and he produces promise. That is our God. Do not look at your circumstances current to try to understand the promise. It will not work. It does not work. You start to look at your circumstance and say, where is this promise coming from? This makes no sense. That makes no sense to me. I, 
I, I hope you guys don't mind. I don't think you will. But Stu and Christy received a promise, a prophetic word from Kanisha that they would have a house. They were renting a house paid in full in three months. That's a, that's a pretty specific word to give. And I'm thinking, great, this is my friend who I brought in here. Yikes. <laughs> you know, she's, she's throwing out words like this. Stu's on the ground. He's like flew in the air on the ground, shaking like a fish. Yeah, <laughs> wings like an eagle. <laughs> yeah. There was power in the room. There was only like 10 of us in the room or something. Well, what happens? Both his parents die within three months. And he inherits the house, paid in full, three months. Now, that promise was an incredible promise, preceded by sorrow and loss. You know, oftentimes, now after the fact, it's like, look, the promise was paid in full. Well, what did they have to walk through? What did the Lord walk them through? That was God's plan. He released that promise, that sorrow, that's pain, that's weight that they had to walk through. Still losing both his parents, that's not easy. That's very difficult. Even though they were well in age, they had, had healthy lives, but uh, one of them uh, very unexpected. In order for the promise, but God had a plan. And now their house is being remodeled and they're getting it bigger and bigger and bigger so there could be more space for the whole church to come over and be there all the time and hosting and that that's the promise of God they had to face some very heavy sorrow but God turned sorrow and pain and he produced the promise my husband and I Tom's dad, Ron, passed away unexpectedly. You all know you walked us through it. And then my brother, very unexpectedly, just out, I mean, out of nowhere, could not have imagined something like that happening. And the pain of those losses, saying, God, where are you? What is happening? What is happening? And believing with community, individually and with community for promise promise of a child that we've been waiting for and promise of some other things that I'm going to share. <laughs> Incredible things. And yet we're in this sorrow and we're saying, God, and even when I got pregnant with Winona, I still was like, what the heck? Why? Why did this and this have to happen right before this happened? Like that what is going on? I'm in grief and happiness at the same time, and I don't know what to do with my emotions, right? Things just, he has a plan. He turned, but he turned sorrow. He's turning sorrow and pain into a lot of promise. Part of that promise is she's here. She's about to be here in two months, coming out. Woohoo! Oh, holy smokes, I know. Woohoo! She's going to be here. The second massive Prom oh, oh, I mean, multiple things. Tom just went full-time at his work, got a massive promotion. Crazy promotion. That's another promise. Then we've been believing God for a house, which would be a miracle for us because we do not, with our lifestyle choices to say yes to God, did not have what that would need. 
And we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And this last year, we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, stood and believed. And we are getting a house sold to us for pennies, the house being the one next door. And it's literally going to be basically free. I mean, we have to pay something. A God of promise. He turned, and this is, Stu released this word at House Church the other day. What was the scripture reference? Do you remember? In Psalms. He released this over the, the group there, and it was, you crown the year with your bounty. And he said, uh, there's only a couple months left, but there's still some things that God is going to do. And then weeks later, we get this news that was going to be impossible. We had made a request, and, and it, we were told, doubtful this is going to happen, just so you guys know, but we'll, we'll ask. And instead, what happened was everyone was excited and saying, this is the Holy Spirit, and we must give them this house. Same week, same week that he released that. Days later, that happened to us. And Tom and I are just weeping in joy. Like Kate had just given me a, a word because she's, we've talked through a lot of the sorrow of things and she knows a lot. She said, you're going to be floating on, floating on cloud nine, like days before this happened. God, you're just going to be floating on cloud nine. And I was like, yes, Lord. And then this happens and I'm like, I'm floating on cloud nine. <laughs> cloud 10. <laughs> He takes sorrow and pain and loss, and he produces promise. And there are many promises in this family we're still believing for, and some that have already been begun to happen. We're going to hear more next week. Homes and marriages and babies and promotions. There are things happening that just make you stand in awe of God and say, What's going to happen next? Oh, my goodness. What's going to happen next? We're going to hear next week. You do not want to miss out on next week because there's going to be some more incredible things shared about what God is doing and providing <laughs> and how he's multiplying and breaking through. Don't miss next week. And I want to say don't. Don't limit God or give up before it's obtained. Because that was the warfare against me, specifically. And I shared with our leadership team multiple times. The warfare against me was give up, give up, give up, give up, give up. A constant barrage of intense spiritual warfare. Give up meaning I'm leaving Carmel, see you later. I'm going to go just attend a church somewhere and hide in the back because I don't want to be the focus of anything. And I don't want to have any spiritual warfare against me, so I'm just going to hide and do nothing. The most intense spiritual warfare I've experienced in my life, and I've been through a lot of stuff, it's, it's been real for a lot of people. A and the fact is, God is showing up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. The outpouring is trickling, and it's about to burst. I would say it's more than a trickle now because of all the things that I'm hearing in the past two weeks and believing for more. The year's not up. Receive that word from Stu yourself. I mean, that was the Spirit of God 
through Stu for this family, the year is not up, and he crowns the year with bounty. Receive that for us, where, he, where he's going to crown our year with bounty. And this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. That should get us excited. And that's why these words about joy breaking forth, it's sometimes in our, in our circumstances, we're like, oh, joy. How? <laughs> I don't feel very joyful. Well, joy's about to break out among us, and our whole community is going to be like this testimony in the region of God's goodness, faithfulness, provision, promise, breakthrough, because we've stood together to see God break, break. He has a bigger plan in mind. He has a big plan. It's extensive. Don't get caught in your circumstance. Don't get so tunnel-visioned. In your, in your individual circumstance, his plan is massive. And he's doing something good. He's producing promise. So next week, you want to be here, invite your family, come. It's going to be a blast. And then the 27th with Chio. This is going to be an amazing Sunday that he's going to share. And, I mean, he is so anointed He's going to drop a bomb on us. And if you know anyone that loves a missionary speaker, they don't usually go to church on a Sunday, but if you say some foreigners there that's going to be speaking about missions, invite them because this is the Sunday you want them to come. If your family's in town for Thanksgiving, whatever it might be, the 27th, you want to be here to hear them. We are going to get blasted with some glory in the next few weeks. And this is just the beginning, guys. It's just the beginning. So I wanted to just, yeah, it's exciting. There's stuff bubbling over.